All right, let's turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. By the way, we need to be praying for Nell Allen. I understand she has fallen and broke her wrist and her hip. And she is at uh, uh, Madison? Athens. Uh, the hospital over in Athens. So pray for Nell Allen uh, in these days ahead. Of course, continue to pray for Brother Vince that he'll get better. And uh, continue to pray for Brother Wally. What he's going through, Miss Rowe went through... Uh, the procedure that she was having done today, but uh, obviously they won't have a report on that. Uh, let's see, where did John go? There you are. Tell, tell the folks about your uncle. So pray, Brother Jerry Ross is, you know, potential being very, very serious. So let's pray for them. All right. I want you to notice a few verses in Nehemiah chapter 8, and then we'll go over to Nehemiah chapter 9. And I want to preach on a different league. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday before the men and the women and those that could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive under the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah and Shema and Aniah and Urijah and Hilkiah and Maasiah on the right hand and on his left hand, Padiah and Mishael, Malchiah and Hashem and Hashbadana, I love that name, Zechariah and Meshulam. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Go over to chapter 9. Now in the twenty and fourth day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and with sackcloths and earth upon them. And the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers And stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord their God one fourth part of the day. And another fourth part they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. Now, Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. I plead tonight for clarity of thought. I pray, Heavenly Father, for the filling of the Holy Spirit that your truth would go into our hearts and challenge us to a better walk than what we've ever had before. Move upon us tonight, we pray. If there's any without Christ, may they see their need for the Son of God and turn to Jesus and be saved today. And Lord, we'll thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. I grew up playing baseball. I love baseball. That's no secret. I've told you that many times, but I played Little League Baseball. Back when I was young, we didn't have the kind of leagues where you put a ball on a tee and you hit it. We call that golf. Um, And, of course, during all the times that I played ball, we always kept score. There was a winner and there was a loser and all of that. But uh, So I played for a couple of different teams in Little League, and I was a pretty good catcher, a pretty good outfielder, and I was a good hitter. I loved baseball. Uh, My uh, hero, my baseball hero back then was Al Kaline, and he was one of the youngest rookies to ever win the batting title. And just uh, just a guy of tremendous character. Now, whether or not he was saved, I don't have any clue. Back then, didn't know anything about being saved, so it wouldn't have mattered much to me back then anyway. But uh, I played baseball, and you know, for a person playing baseball, I don't care if they're on a championship team in the Little League, they're not going to beat any high school teams. You know why? That's a different league. Those people have developed more physically. They can do a lot more. They can throw the ball harder. They can swing the bat harder. And those little leaguers may be good for little league. But the truth is, a little leaguer, as much as I had loved baseball, I had absolutely no clue what it was like to be in a high school league. But then I played college ball for the first two years in college, I love baseball, and you know, I found out something. The ball that they threw in, although it was the same size, the ball that they threw in in college, um, being the same size, same color, all of that, they threw it harder. And they threw it a lot harder. I mean, that ball that they threw didn't end up where they threw it because the ball moved like crazy. If it was a fastball, it really moved, and depending on how they... How they came down on it, it might move toward you, it might move away from you. Uh, If they threw a curveball, now they threw that a little slower and they did the fastball, but that ball you'd think is going to hit you right in the back and ends up going right across the plate. And so, man, you had to be a whole lot quicker when you stood to bat them. But I want to tell you something. You take a good high school team, and normally playing playing college ball, they're not going to win any game against a college team, even a mediocre college team. But then there are the pros. Man, you get to Major League Baseball, you take the best teams that are out there in college. And if they were suddenly shifted over to a Major League team where they were uh, their own Major League team, no changes, they wouldn't do very well in the majors because it was a totally different league. And depending on what league you're playing in, you really don't have much idea about what it's like in the league that is above you. When I played Little League, I looked pretty good among the Little Leaguers for being able to play. When I played high school, I played pretty good in high school. Now, I was just mediocre, especially when I got to college. I just mediocre. I had a lot of other things on my plate that was going on. Besides that, My one coach told me, he said, uh, Mike, your your biggest problem is you, you, I'm not saying you're slow, you just run too long in one place. I thought, (laughs) I I took that as a hint, and since I couldn't speed up, I was pretty much going to be washed up. Now, that's just baseball. 
Each league, yes, being its own league, but it's different. And people in one league, you know, they judge all ball, ball players by the people in their league, and that's baseball to them. But they really don't have a clue what's going on above that. Do you realize that when it comes to church and spirituality, it's the same way? There are some people that church to them is something that you go to, you through, sit through a message, hopefully you'll enjoy some fellowship with people, and you go on home. Well, why are you at church? Well, Christians are supposed to be at church. And they'll read their Bible once in a while, and they'll pray for all the missionaries. God, please bless all the missionaries. Uh, heal the sick folks that we have in church. And that's their prayer life. And they feel they're doing pretty well. Now, in some cases, that would be more like baby Christians would be like that. But, but nevertheless, when they, somebody comes along that is committed to serving the Lord, to not just being part of a ministry, but doing their very best for whatever ministry they get into. And when it comes to, when it comes to coming to church, they're not coming because you're supposed to go to church as a Christian. They're coming to get something. They're coming to hear from God. They're coming for things to be different. And when they pray, I mean, when it comes to praying for missionaries, they go through a whole list of prayer requests that they know missionaries have. And they pray specifically for those missionaries. I look at the Apostle Paul and you can see that somewhat in his life. For instance, by the time you get to the book of Philippians, Paul writes that book from jail. He's in Rome. And here's a man that according to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul had already suffered greatly for the Lord. He had served God. He had been jailed. He'd been shipwrecked. He'd been beaten. He'd been stoned. He had a lot of things happen. But you get to Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10. Here he's been saved now for 30 some years. He has served God with a degree of commitment and sacrifice. Like nobody I have ever met, Brother Myers. You look at, just read that passage in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 11. And it's amazing what he had already gone through. And he's saying this. He was saying that I may know him. And the fellowship of his suffering. Being made conformable unto his death. After I left out part of that is that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. Here's the apostle Paul saying, you know, all right, what things soever were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. But now, after 30 years of knowing him, I want to know him even in his sufferings. I want to know him with a commitment unto death. And by the way, God granted that request. For he lost his head for Jesus. He was marched out and they took a sword and cut his head off for Christ. Now, I look at Paul's commitment there in 2 Corinthians chapter, or 2 Timothy chapter 4. And I see what he went through for Christ, what he had, and he was willing to die for Christ. I not only don't come anywhere close to that. I look at his commitment before to be willing to go through all that he suffered. I've not suffered anything for Jesus. Do you understand that? I've not been thrown in jail for Jesus. I've not been beaten for Jesus. I've not suffered shipwreck for Jesus. I mean, I've not suffered the taunts and the problems and the trials and the troubles 
that he suffered for I'm not even on that level. I feel like I'm in Little League. Now, when I was in Little League, I couldn't wait till I played high school ball. Actually, I played Babe Ruth ball. Then we played high school ball. And I was excited when I went to college and was able to play for a college team for a while. But I wasn't going any higher than that. I knew I, I mean, the college was a little bit beyond my limit as far as being able to play. But when it comes to spirituality, when it comes to our walk, here's our trouble. We see somebody, they're different than we are. Their commitment seems to be, I mean, they're focused on being committed to Christ. You know, those that are just happy to make it out one service a week, they don't understand somebody who's there every service. They think, what are they showing off? What's wrong with them? I mean, they see somebody that, yes, they pray, but when they see somebody that could easily come in and get down and just start praying for people of the church, and they could pray for an hour, and they still haven't prayed for everybody yet. They got a lot more praying to do as far as they're concerned. And other folks are just, they're perfectly content to just say, Lord, bless everybody. That's their prayer. That's a different league. And sometimes we get a little suspicious of those who seem to be on a higher league than what we're at. Then we begin to question their motives. Why are they doing this? Why are they talking with all these people about Christ? Are they just trying to show off? That must be it. And Because we don't see the need, we think there must be something wrong with them that they do. Now, having said that, I said that as an introduction to get to where we're at here. Because unfortunately, Israel would not have been in the trouble that they had been in had they been on the level that they are when you read chapters 8 and 9. You remember they'd been carried off into captivity. And as a matter of fact, they were off into captivity for 70 years. And now they've been allowed to come back into the land. And here's Nehemiah. He comes into the land and he's wanting to build the wall around Jerusalem. And he does it. Now, he has a lot of problems. And matter of fact, there were a number of the Israelites that he has to get after. But they get committed to the job and they get it done in 56 days. Now there's a wall around the city. We're done, right? No, we're not done because you understand a wall is not going to protect the city. It had a wall when it was run over by the Babylonians. That wall didn't keep the Babylonians from running over it. I, I remember one of the first times, one of the first times, that we only went twice, so it had to be one of the first times. Um, we went to Megiddo, which is up by the Valley of Jezreel up north, and there's a fortress there. Matter of fact, Solomon's stables were there and all that. But the fortress is on a high hill. And uh, I, I mean, it was there for the protection of the land. Protect them from the people coming from the north, from Europe, and that way coming down. Protect them from the Egyptians coming up from the south. It was something that would have to be taken. This was there to protect them. Now, as they were telling us the story about that, then the man went on to say that over the centuries, 18 different countries 
had come in and taken that fortress. And I thought, it didn't do any of them any good, did it? Whoever had the fortress lost. They thought it was something that was there for their protection. And it didn't protect them. Well, now here's Israel. They now have the wall rebuilt. But what they need is not the wall. What they need is God. Now, considering what had already happened in Jerusalem several years before, they knew their history. Ezra is there. Nehemiah is there. And they know that those walls are not going to keep the Babylonians, the Medes, and the Persians, or anybody else out of the city. They need God. And suddenly, these people get on a level like they had never been on before. They are in a different league than what their fathers were on. They're in a different league than what they've ever been in before as well. And every time I read these two chapters together, I am absolutely astounded at what takes place. Because the reality is we can read these two chapters, chapters 8 and 9, and we really have a hard time connecting with them. Because their level of commitment, their motive for commitment and all that is so far away from us. But may I say, with our nation being just about gone and our freedoms just about gone, we have absolutely no hope and no help of getting it back unless somehow we can get serious with God like these people got serious with God. I want you to notice, first of all, the ingredients of their preparation. In verse 1, the scripture says, And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spoke unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. This is something that did not happen many times in the history of Israel. The people all came together not to complain about the deficiencies in the wall. They didn't come together to all their their grievances or to try to come up with their own program. They all got together, all of them. And they said, Moses, or they said, Ezra, we want to hear the law of God. I dare say in most churches today, if they were to give any instructions to the man of God, It would be, we want to hear about the joy of the Lord. We want to hear about the grace of God and the joy of the Lord. It's not a bad subject. The grace of God, that's not a bad subject. But about the last thing we want to hear is the law of God. But until you understand the seriousness of the law of God, you'll never even come close to understanding the grace of God or the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord does not come from walking in disobedience to the law of God. They have a purpose. They assembled to hear the word of God. And this is important. Now, granted, not every church 
that you go to is specifically going to be preaching to try to get God's people right with him. There are just an awful lot of places. They realize people want to hear how they can be happier, how they can be more fulfilled in their life, and that's the preaching they're long for. They don't want preaching that's going to make them feel guilty over their sin. But that's exactly what the law of God was designed to do, and that's what these people are wanting to hear. They were, had been carried off into captivity because they had not followed the law of the Lord. You understand when they're talking about bringing the book of the law of Moses, that more than likely they were, to, they were asking him to come and bring the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. The very name Deuteronomy means second law. God first gave his law in the book of Exodus, but then we see, and his law is, of course, dealt with even more in the book of Leviticus, but the book of Deuteronomy was given before they went into the promised land to remind them of their responsibility before God that they were to walk in obedience to his word if they were going to be able to stay in the promised land. And so they want to be reminded, Ezra, bring the book of the law. Back, I don't know, many years ago, we were over in the other building. I wanted to have a Bible reading night. And so I just challenged any of the men that wanted to come. We'd read the, we'd read the Bible and what we were going to do. We were going to read the book of the law. We were going to read the book of Deuteronomy. And we had 17 men there. Uh, put a few tables together, and we read around five verses. Each man would read five verses, and we'd move on around. Tremendous impact. When Josiah had them clean up the temple, uh, had the priests clean up the temple, Shemaiah found the book of the law hidden in the temple. What a place for the book of the law to be hidden. The people had not been hearing it. And when Shemaiah read it, he went to the high priest. The high priest said, you need to take this to the king. He took it to the king, and the king trembled and he tore his clothes because he realized that they had been walking contrary to God's word and God had pronounced blessings and curses in that book. If God was going to fulfill his word, they were going to be carried off. But because he trembled, God said, Josiah, it won't happen in your day. It'll happen to those who come after you. Because God always keeps his word took us a little over four hours to read the book of Deuteronomy. A little over four hours. Now imagine, the pastor got up on Sunday morning. Here it is, 10 o'clock, 9.30. 9.30, we sing a song. Everybody open up your Bible to the book of Deuteronomy. And I just start reading. And for the next four hours... Without commentary, without comment, I just read the book of the law. And let's just suppose it takes as long as what it did for us men to do it back several years ago. Four hours. Now that's at 9.30. Imagine we get to 10.30. We get to the start and we don't take a break. Some people file in. Maybe some people file out. But imagine after two hours, we get to 11.30. Three hours, 
We're now at 1230 and there's been no preaching done. All that's been done has been simply the reading of the law of God. We go four hours. Listen, that's what these people are calling for. And they went longer than that. They were eager to hear what it said for them. They not only wanted to hear the word of God, they wanted it applied to them. Look at verse 3. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday. Before the men and the women and those that could understand in the ears of all the people. Look at this. The ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. They were listening on purpose. Just in the book of Luke alone. In Luke 8, 8, Jesus said, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. In Luke 8, 18, Take heed therefore how ye hear. In Luke 11 and verse 28, But he said, Yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Jesus said in Luke 14, 35, It is neither fit for the land nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And I remind you in the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ in chapters 2 and 3, the letters to the seven churches, to all seven churches, Jesus said, He that hath ears, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the church. When was the last time you came to church, not just to fellowship, and not just to sing a few songs and be under preaching, but you came on purpose to hear what the Word of God had to say about your life. Not about your neighbor's life, your life. And you came on purpose to say, Lord, show me where I need to clean it up. And I'll get right with you. Now, we're going to see some amazing things as a result of that in just a little bit. Notice how they showed respect for the Word of God. In verse 4, it says in Ezra, the scribes stood upon a pulpit of wood which they had made for the purpose. And beside him, we got a number of names of people who stood beside him. Verse 5, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Every once in a while, we'll have preachers come in and before they read the Word of God, they'll say, let's everybody stand for the reading of the Word of God. Well, the interesting thing here, it appears that the people stood on their own. Ezra didn't have to tell them to stand. They stood in respect of the Word of God. We're not commanded to do that anywhere. They didn't do it from a command. They stood up. Because they needed what God had in his word. They were showing respect for God and his word. These are amazing people. They are showing respect for what God has to say in his word. And notice what what happens. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands. They bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also Jeshua and Bani and Sherebiah and Jamin and Akab and Shabbatai and uh, Hadijah and Maasiah and Kaleida and Azariah and Jezebad, Hanan, Malai and the Levites 
caused the people to understand the law and the people stood in their place. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading of it. Uh, They weren't worried about what they were having for dinner when the service was over. They were there on purpose to hear from God. Did you come on purpose tonight to hear God's word for you in your own life? When was the last time you came to church to hear from God's word to change your life? This is a different league. Do you realize had they been treating the word of God like this before they were carried off into captivity, they never would have been carried off into captivity. Now they've got walls, but they're not trusting in the walls. They're going to trust in God. They read about, they read about feasts they were supposed to keep, and they kept them in verse 9. Nehemiah, which is the Tershatsha, and Ezra, the priest of the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. You say, man, the law is, is sad. The Bible says the law is good. You say, well, then why did it make them so sad to weep? Because the law showed they were guilty. Have you ever had somebody tell you, well, I, 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 try to, I believe if I keep the law, I'll be okay. Yeah, but you've already broken it. You're already guilty. All of us have broken God's law. Why do we need to be reminded of the law? Because it manifests to us the holiness of God and the Lord is still greatly to be feared in the assembly of his saints. He is not here for us. We are here for him. We were created to please him, to bring pleasure to him. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11. That's why we're here. That is God's will for our lives. And then they continued in the word of God. Look at verse 18. Also day by day from the first day unto the last day, he read in the book of the law of God and they kept the feast seven days and on the eighth day was a solemn assembly according to unto the matter. In other words, they didn't wait. They went ahead and continued to do it for those eight days hearing the law of God. And these weren't one hour meetings. Jesus said... In John chapter 8 and verse 31, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. You take a look at the new converts in Acts chapter 4. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. The same day there was added unto them 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and breaking of bread and of prayers. Much fellowship here with the believers because of their heart's desire. Hit and miss Christianity needs revival, but will never get it until they decide on a consecrated time and a concentrated time to seek God. That's a different level than where most of us live. Now, there, there's a little league, there's a high school, there's... The college, there's the pros, there's all that. And people aren't, but the sad thing is, is everybody thinks if they're good in that league, that, hey, that's as, that's as much as I want. I'm happy with that. 
That wasn't Paul's idea of it. Now, notice how it affected their inward and outward appearance, chapter 9. Now, in the 20 and 4th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled, now notice this, with fasting and with sackcloth and earth upon their head. Now, did they fast, the question comes, from the 8th day to the 24th day, or was it a one-day fast? I'm not sure. Um, it's kind of ambiguous in English for us here as to whether it was a one-day fast uh, that took place here on the 24th day, or if they did that for, well, let's see, 8th through the 24th would be about 16 days, two weeks. That'd be quite a fast. Either way, they're pretty serious. Now, we're talking about fasting, doing without food. Because these people are right now more concerned with wanting things to be right with God. Remember, the Apostle Paul gives this testimony in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 that he was involved in fastings often. It wasn't something that was done once in a great while. It was done many times. They were getting serious. Earlier in their history, in 2 Chronicles chapter 15 and verse 12, it says, And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul, that whosoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel should be put to death, whether small or great, whether man or woman. And they swear unto the Lord with a loud voice and with shouting and with trumpets and with cornets. And all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with their whole desire and he was found to them, and the Lord gave them rest round about. When people get serious about God, the Bible says, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. The things that seem harsh to the outside world, they seem harsh because from people who are already flippant toward the things of God instead of being serious. You notice how they dress. They dress in sackcloth. That was the clothing of mourning. Mourning. Woe is me. It kind of reminds you of what took place when Jonah went into Nineveh and preached. And when the king got the message that the God of Israel was going to destroy them in 40 days, he repented and got right. He covered himself with sackcloth and ashes and commanded that all the people were to wear sackcloth and any who didn't would die and that even the animals were to have the ashes upon their heads. If they didn't, then the animals would die. Now, let's face it, he was a pagan king. He didn't understand all that stuff, but he did understand something about mourning over his sin. I think that's one of the most amazing miracles in the Bible, that a pagan king like the king of Nineveh would get a hold of such a short message like he did and make it part of his life. But God promises in Jeremiah 29, 13, and ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. Now note their prayer time. Look at verse 3 of chapter 9. We're getting close to being done. And they stood up in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord, their God, one-fourth part of the day. And another fourth part, they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God. Boy, this is still amazing to me. You'll notice that it said, 
that they, they read from the book of the law. This is after all these other days where they've been reading the word of God all those hours. One fourth part of the day. If you're figuring the daytime, day simply meaning from like seven to seven or six to six, something like that, one fourth part would be three hours. Again, they listen to the word of God. If you're talking about the entire day, then of course it would be six hours. They listen to it. And then they began to confess and they worshiped just as long as what they had heard the word of God. So it's definitely either another three hours or another six hours or something in between there. This after all these days that they've been meeting and they've now been fasting, these people have gotten serious with God. One quarter part of the day of worshiping. I'm going to ask you a question. Don't answer it out loud. Think for yourself. When was the last time you worshipped the Lord? Didn't ask him for anything. You worshipped the Lord for an hour. You might have sang some songs of praise. You might have quoted some psalms from the book of Psalms. But you spent an hour. These people spent three times that long at least, minimum. Just worshiping the Lord. Telling God how great he is. There are a lot of psalms that speak to the Lord. And the psalmist is praising God for who he is and what he's done. But when was the last time you set aside an hour to get alone with God and just worship? I dare say that for many of us, it's been a long time since. But you can't worship until you have a time of confession. There has to be a time of getting right before your worship has any impact. Now, why does God need to hear how great he is? I don't believe he needs to hear it. I believe we need to hear it. I believe we need to hear ourselves say how great God is. You know, we often say God's good. and Somebody else will say all the time. Yeah, that's true. God's good all the time. But we don't tell him much. Now, even though God knows how good he is, and he is good all the time, no matter what's happening in our life, God is good. And we, all God's people said to that, amen. At least, if they're God's people, they should be able to say amen to that. But you like to hear good things about you, don't you? You like to hear that somebody appreciates you. That if you work the bus, well, I'm not doing it for praise. I know, but it's good to hear it. You enjoy hearing it. You sing a special. I know you're not singing for praise but if somebody says boy i really enjoyed that special spoke to my heart today you like hearing that don't you i mean wasn't that part of the reason that you were singing so that you'd be a blessing to others and have someone actually let you know that hey you were used of god to be a blessing to them doesn't that encourage you now god doesn't need the encouragement but we need to be encouraging him for the first step one of the first steps of the i'm trying to think of the word uh the decline of society is a lack of thankfulness. 
And when we are not thankful, we then end up becoming a people who are idolatrous and living for ourselves. We need to worship. Worship is not just singing a song. And by the way, this can be worship. Yeah, it can be. Lifting up holy hands, there's nothing wrong with that. But this is not necessarily a sign of worship. Anymore, and I'm not going to get down on my face because I will not get back up again if I do. But if I got down on my face right now, bowed before the Lord, that's not necessarily worship. It can be worship, depending on what your heart attitude is. Matter of fact, when you look what these people went through and what they did, this is absolutely amazing. I'd like to go through all these verses. But the prayer of confession, notice beginning in verse 5. It says, And the Levites, Jeshua, and Cadmiel, and Bani, and Hashabaniah, and Sherebiah, and Adijah, and Shebaniah, and Pathahiah, said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever, and blessed be thy glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. Thou, even thou, art Lord alone. Thou hast made heaven and the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all things that are therein, the seas and all that is therein, and thou preservest them all. And the host of heaven worshipeth thee. Thou art the Lord, the God, who didst choose Abram and broughtest him forth out of Ur of the Chaldees and gave him the name of Abraham and foundest his heart faithful before thee. Man, he doesn't stop. He continues on through this, just praising God like that. As a matter of fact, get down to verses 32 and 33. Now, therefore, our great God, the great the mighty and the terrible God who keepeth covenant and mercy, let not all the trouble seem little before thee that hath come upon us, on our kings, on our princes, on our priests, and on our prophets, and on our fathers, and on all the people since the time of the kings of Assyria unto this day. Howbeit thou art just in all that is brought upon us. For thou hast done right, but we have done wickedly. They speak the truth in worship. They speak in truth about their own guilt, but God's goodness and God's mercy and God's grace. They had a wall, but God had to be their protection, not a wall. I think we got to the place where we were counting on the Constitution of the United States to protect us. Amazing thing is that when the Constitution was written, Samuel Adams said, not Samuel Adams, Who? John Adams. That's all I wanted. Uh, John Adams said that this document was written for a righteous people. And immoral people will use it to put people into slavery. But it was only written for a righteous and moral people. It's not the Constitution that can preserve a nation. Only God is the one who preserves a nation. Not the writings of man, but God And his word. Now, I read these chapters. And man, here are some people that at this point, they got to the place where they are on a level. They're in a league that they really have never been in before. And it shows. They're different. What do you think would happen 
if I said we're going to read from the law from 8 o'clock till 12 o'clock, maybe even beyond this coming Sunday. Forget Sunday school, get here at 8 o'clock. We're going to start reading in the book of Deuteronomy. We're not stopping until we're done. That'd be a time some people would be taking a little vacation to go back home and go to some place where they can get out a little bit earlier. Imagine we're going to spend at least three hours just reading the book of the law and then we're going to spend time confessing our sin. That's what we're going to do. Preacher, it's, it's making me feel uncomfortable. I'll tell you what, it makes me feel uncomfortable. Because I'm not the level that I ought to be. Say, so how do you correct that? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To me, one of the most amazing things out of this passage is that it starts out, they built the wall, but they're not going to trust in the wall. And all the people came together on their own. Ezra didn't have to call them in. They did it together. Ezra, read to us the law of God. That's what we want. Wow, that's a different league. What league are you in today? Where do you want to be? Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I thank you, Father, for the truth of your word. This was an amazing, for lack of a better word, this was an amazing revival. We don't see this kind of hunger and thirst after your truth, your word. like these people demonstrated that day. God, so deal with our hearts if this message makes one person thirsty. Thirsty to be in a higher league than what they've been walking in. And God, that would be a tremendous blessing. Have your way in our hearts tonight. Bless our invitation, we pray. In Jesus' name.